0: Welcome to The Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. This episode is proudly brought to you by CSIRO, Australia's national science agency and innovation catalyst. Explore the commercialization of great ideas across deep tech and science. Immerse yourself in conversations with the ambitious minds shaping Australia's unique innovation landscape. Discover their insights into what's needed to bring these remarkable ideas to life.
1: Hello and welcome to the Commercial Disco Podcast. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. The Commercial Disco is brought to you in partnership with the National Science Agency, CSIRO. And today we're talking to the Deputy Leader of Opposition and Shadow Industry Skills and Training Minister, Susan Lee. Welcome.
2: Hi, James. Great to join you and all of your audience to talk about subjects that we are all so passionate about.
1: Okay, before we get into the nitty-gritty of it, The industry portfolio is kind of dear to the hearts of a lot of our listeners, myself as well. How's the portfolio going? What have you been doing?
2: I love it. And as deputy in our party and our opposition, I'm able to choose my portfolios and I definitely wanted this one. I've found it an incredible privilege to travel the country to meet workers, small businesses, medium businesses producers of technology, the energy sector, the resources sector, and so many more in their place of doing business in their world and learning from them what it means to do the incredible things that they do, where the challenges are, what they need from government, what they need from us when we hopefully return to government and so on. And I guess I often reflect on my time as a commercial pilot, as a practical person on the farm for 17 years as someone who understands the highs and lows of running a business and how risk everything. And, you know, you often risk your home, your family, your sanity, and it's also something that you believe in. So to meet those people where they work, as I said, is, is a tremendous privilege. And you often hear politicians talk about privilege and passion, but I actually mean it. That makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We have some incredible companies in this country and some very smart, very clever people doing interesting stuff. When you're out and about and visiting some of these small businesses and innovators, what are you hearing? What do they think government's role should be? What's your sense out there? And also, any particular companies that are really impressed?
2: People don't speak with one voice, but there are similar themes, and I would certainly put energy and workforces top of the list. So if I walk onto a manufacturing factory floor that is high in energy usage or uses gas and is looking at their energy bill every month and wondering why they're continuing to do what they're doing, I really hear that. Uh, Certainly with workforce, there are huge choke points in getting a skilled workforce in this country. And that's something that this government is not doing enough about. They have completely misunderstood, I think, the workforce needs, the balance between bringing in skilled workers and training our own. So we know that everyone does what they do differently, but there are things that government should do to put the basics in place, energy, workforce, and of course, industrial relations, which is looming, but the changes are pretty scary for a lot of businesses at this point in time. Look, I don't want to pick winners because everyone is different and special in their own way. But if I can do one shout out to Dr. Shami and the team at Vitex in Western Sydney, that would be one of the largest, if not the largest, complementary medicines manufacturers in Australia. And some of your listeners might know what complementary medicines are. Well, they're your fish oil tablet, your nutrients. It's a booming $6 billion market. And it's where that Australian logo flies our flag internationally in a very proud way. It's a good product. And we've got world-class agriculture, which is close to my heart, feeds into nutraceuticals and a health regulatory system of the highest standard. I can say that as a former health minister. I don't want to give away all Dr. Shami's secrets, but it was just like walking into Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. It was truly amazing. So that's just one sector that I want to call out because it's not something people would immediately think of. But my goodness, it's doing well and it was backed in by our government's previous, the previous government's modern manufacturing strategy.
1: Fantastic. It's great to see those sort of innovative companies. And I know it's gratifying to see companies that have benefited from specific policy initiatives. So let's move on to the NRF, the National Reconstruction Fund. That's the, the $15 billion fund, the signature policy of this government and this prime minister. The prime minister recently said that the fund was open to business. You've been quite... Critical of a slow rollout. Just talk us through it. I mean, given the Coalition didn't support the NRF legislation as it came through, what's your thinking on this?
2: The National Reconstruction Fund is not the answer for our manufacturing industries. And even if you think it is, the fact that almost a year after the legislation for the fund passed the Parliament, it hasn't handed out a single dollar just goes to show how slow, how glacially slow is the rollout. And I believe the government should not have torn up a single coalition program until their program was in place and ready to fund projects. That's the kind of statement I can make about the NRF. Do people want the government to take an equity position in their business? That's actually what this NRF is because it's not grants. It's not the support that we had under the Modern Manufacturing Initiative that I believe was very successful. In fact, the proof is there that it was successful. The Prime Minister was asked about it recently and he said it's uh, got construction as one of its priorities. No, it hasn't, so he doesn't even understand the priority areas of the fund. And meanwhile, we have a vacuum. Well, manufacturing businesses just can't afford for there to be no policy. To pretend that this is there is disingenuous of this government. Go to the website for the NRF and it says it's in a set phase. Yes, the mandate is in place, but so what? It's not handing out a single dollar of money. And your listeners well know, as I said, manufacturers can't afford to wait if they want to succeed as they have to in a competitive and globalized market. Those on the cutting edge, the startups, the innovators, those with new offerings, those who are in a highly competitive industry already, they've got to act fast to commercialize their ideas or they risk falling behind. Similarly, those in trade exposed industries, they can't afford to wait for the government to comprehend the implications of their policies. And then they've got to walk the plank and they'll end up going offshore. So as I listen to manufacturers, all the messages are clear. They need certainty, but all they're getting from the government is confusion. There's no economic plan. There's no recognition of removing the red tape. And I come back once more to their energy, their industrial relations, and their workforce policies, not looking after these manufacturing businesses.
1: So this is a philosophical difference that the coalition has with the current government in relation to grants versus other means of support, including equity?
2: Our philosophical difference with the government is across many areas, but critically in industry and manufacturing policy. It's about recognising that we want to support those who are on the cusp of success. We don't want to pick winners. We want to recognise sovereign manufacturing capability, as we did in our modern manufacturing initiative which produce $2.20 of private investment for every $1 of government grants. And we also want to do something this government never does, which is consult with the sector and ask what they need. So, yeah, sure, $15 billion National Reconstruction Fund, it sounds fantastic. Remember that $15 billion is just being invested and the investment earnings of the fund are what is available to actually support the outcomes in the seven priority areas. So you've got to rely on a earnings rate that does that. But also the only way this works is via equity or debt. So the government takes an equity position in your business or the government lends you money, looking at your balance sheet in a way similar to what a bank would do. So many people who look at the paperwork involved in this, which doesn't exist because the fund isn't open for business, I think will say, well, I may as well go to my bank. Maybe there's a concessional interest rate, but you know, Why would I jump through all these hoops? So it's just not there for manufacturing at a time like this where it's critically necessary to support our manufacturers. Meanwhile, the government's other policies in energy are actually working against them.
1: Okay, well, let me ask you this. We could talk also about the Industry Growth Programme, which is still, I guess, in set-up mode also. That was a programme announced in the last budget that replaces One of the coalition initiatives previously. So I I guess there would be similar issues running through that. Specifically, what would you be doing differently if you were running this portfolio?
2: Well, just on the industry growth program, that was introduced after we pointed out the clear shortcomings of the National Reconstruction Fund, which excluded the provision of grants. So this was set up as policy on the run. But again, there's no money going out of it. It's linked to the NRF, and it's not clear what manufacturers can do to actually get support. So they're still waiting. They're still waiting for a policy that helps them. So they might read about these things on paper, but they're not there in the real world. So there are really serious questions for the government to answer on its policy area. What would I be doing differently? Well, I wouldn't have ripped up the previous industry programs before I was in a position to start a new program. So don't trash something that's working well. $1.5 billion under our modern manufacturing strategy went to over 250 transformational projects and leveraged over $3.5 billion of co-investment. As I said, a dollar in grants leveraged $2.20 of private sector investment. So there was a lot of work done in developing that strategy and uh, it's all been torn up. So we will, of course, present new policies and a different approach as we get closer to the next election. But what I can say to people is, look how we did this and look how successful it was and contrast that with how this government is approaching the area.
1: Okay, I want to ask you about a US policy now, the Inflation Reduction Act, IRA or IRA, I think they call it in the US. The NRF was announced in Australia prior to the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, right? So that's not the response from this country to that huge subsidy program in the US that's dragging manufacturing back onto domestic shores over there. So I'm going to ask, like should the Australian government be specifically responding to the IRA in some way to retain manufacturers here and make sure we don't lose them? And what would you be doing?
2: We have to recognize that the Inflation Reduction Act is a significant international policy with massive pool incentives to the US. Structural incentives that have been put in place by the US government. Yeah, I mean, it's going to attract businesses internationally. If you look at Trinium in Brisbane, you can see a great Australian story moving to the US, losing 400 jobs on the way. I know others are considering it too. We can't stump up the sorts of cash to compete like that. So, of course, we would never suggest that. But we have, as a country, got everything going for us. We've got a safe country, we've got a stable country, we've got an incredible lifestyle advantage. We've got a smart and capable workforce. We've got world-class educational institutions, the world's best tradies, the world's best engineers. So, look, I mean, if we're going to square up with the Inflation Reduction Act, we need to be doing everything we can to drop the barriers that are in place that diminish those advantages that I just mentioned. got to get our supply chains efficient, as efficient as possible. I mean, right now, we can't even clear our ports. We've got to get our power prices down. Otherwise, manufacturing is not going to be viable and we have to get all levels of government working together to back businesses to start and to grow. So, look, this issue I have with the way the government's approaching it is they're putting the Australian taxpayer up against the US government with their National Reconstruction Fund because the NRF, as I described previously, is basically a national bank. It's not going to work fast enough. It's not going to compete with the Inflation Reduction Act's structural incentives. And we're now in a critical period, unless the government takes action in the next 6 to 12 months, I think companies will decide to move to the US.
1: But would you, obviously, on scale alone, we can't kind of compete with the kind of programs that they're running, but is there a role for Treasury to reform tax policy in relation to some of the areas targeted by things like the NRF?
2: I think there's a primary responsibility for this government to get its energy policy right. And unless you do that, everything else will take second place. So that's my main and central criticism.
1: Okay. What about ASIC release some numbers this week? I think insolvencies among manufacturers have jumped pretty clearly in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think inflation and supply chain issues have been part of that issue. What would you be doing right now to relieve pressure on some of those smaller manufacturers that, that are literally going to the wall?
2: Well, what you're asking, James, is what would we do about a problem that's been created by this government? And you have to look at what has happened and why, and their own responsibility to clean up their own mess, because the tripling of insolvencies in manufacturing and construction is hugely concerning. So if you go back two years when we were in government and compare that time to now, we have had a tripling in insolvencies in the manufacturing and construction industry. Because it is just too expensive to build things, and back again to the government's energy policy, their industrial relations policy, and their misunderstanding of the skills needs in this country. Everything and I'll take houses because you know everyone relates to that everything that you need to build a house is going up in price: steel, aluminium, glass, concrete the safeguard mechanism which is part of energy policy the inability to lend certainty to those who might invest in our resources sector, particularly in gas. The continuing changing of the goalposts means that, you know, these big investors are going to look at investing in the world's needs in energy somewhere else other than Australia and so on. So, you know, it isn't about tinkering around the edges of, for example, important though it is, you know, consumer law, tax policy, all of those things, artificial intelligence, they're all important factors, but let's get back to basics here. This massive misallocation of effort by this government to lead us to a renewable energy future, the future we all want, but to actually make it impossible for companies to afford to do business on the way.
1: All right, Susan Lee, a Deputy Leader of the Opposition and Shadow Industry Skills and Training Minister. Thank you very much for joining us on the Commercial Disco.
0: joining us on this episode of the commercial disco podcast proudly brought to you by CSIRO don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review wherever you heard us for the latest on tech innovation and public policy visit innovationoz.com and stay connected with us on social media to ask questions or suggest future guests until next time this is the commercial disco wishing you an inspired week ahead